Ephesians chapter 4. I heard somebody say it. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> I, uh, I had to dig into my thesaurus a little bit this week to, uh, to continue on with the, with the C's. <clears throat> Anybody remember the C's from last week? Too bad, I, I remember them, so I'll tell it to you again. So last week we started this topic of unity in the body, right? Uh, Paul is, is, has come to the end of the theological section, really, of Ephesians, and now he's kind of moving into more of the practical section, practical application uh, of the book of Ephesians here in chapter 4, starting the second half of the book. And he starts off with this concept or this call to biblical unity. And last week, we looked at just the first six verses here in Ephesians chapter 4. And he starts off with the case for unity, right? The case for unity. And the case for unity is, um, therefore, <laughs> therefore, because of everything that God has done for us, therefore, because of the call that he has called us to, we should respond in this way. And, and we, we took the time last week to kind of go over some of those blessings that God uh, has bestowed upon us that we looked at in the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Um, so we won't take the time to do that again this morning. But that was the, the, the case for it, the, the reason why we should um, make unity a priority in the body of Christ. And then we looked at the second C. Anybody remember the second C? What? The character of unity, yes. The character of unity, all right. She got the easy one. It's the one that makes the most sense, probably. <laughs> uh, the character of unity, got, in order for us to be unified as the body of Christ in a biblical way, it requires specific character traits. And, the, and Paul goes into those. He talks about what? He talks about humility, right? He talks about gentleness. He talks about patience, bearing with one another in love. And then, of course, there's the, there's the fact that we should be eager for spiritual unity. We should be eager to maintain. Anybody remember what that word maintain meant? I spent a little time on it. Somebody said no. All right. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> it means to keep or to protect, right? It, it means to guard. Because as the body of Christ, we are unified in Christ, right? We all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are unified in, in, the, in the global sense of the word, but there often can be strife, right? There often can be struggles even within the body. And, and Paul wants us to be eager, to be anxious, to be ready to seek after keeping and, and protecting the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Anybody remember the third C? C-O- Core, all right, good job. <laughs> the core of unity. And these are all those singularities that Paul gives. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. All these things that are the core of our faith. These things that we are unified around. These things that we, we gather together and we hold to be true because Scripture tells us these things. And Paul says, these are the core of our spiritual unity. These are the things that we rally around. And it, it's interesting as we move on to verse 7, um, it, it almost seems like Paul's kind of 
changing gears a little bit. Um, it, it almost seems like he's, he's kind of moving on to another topic here. Um, but I hope as we, as we go through this morning, we'll keep in mind the context of spiritual unity that he's already started. Because I believe that what he's got for us through verse 16 this morning is part of this concept of biblical unity. All right, so as we, as we go through this passage, link it together. Think of it as part of this call to biblical unity that, God, that Paul is giving us here in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go ahead and read. Let's start at the beginning of Ephesians 4, and we'll read through verse 16. Paul's writing, and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he held a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and the many things that he's reminded us of so far in just this book and the many amazing things that you have done for us who do not deserve it. Things that you have given us that we, we have no way of, of purchasing, we have no way of repaying you. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for these words that Paul gives us about unity in the body. And Lord, we understand even from our time last week that that's not just here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, but that's the body as a whole because there is one body. And Lord, I pray that as, you, as we go through this passage this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our eyes to perhaps things that that we need to change to become more like Christ, the things that we need to change to, uh, to live a life that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, three more C's for you this morning. I'll let you write them down if you're taking notes. Three more C's. And again, the, the thesaurus came in handy, so it may sound a little weird, but I think you'll see where I'm going. The first one is the catalyst for unity. The catalyst for unity. The second one is the continuation toward unity. 
the continuation toward unity, and the third one is the confirmation of unity. The confirmation of unity. Now, what in the world am I talking about when I say the catalyst of unity? Um, let me kind of start with, it, with an illustration here. I, I'm not really an outdoorsy kind of person. Um, my children love the outdoors. Um, they love the idea of going camping and fishing and, and maybe someday hunting. I don't, that's not my thing. I mean, to me, an outdoor activity involves a nine iron. Um, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's my type of outdoor activity. Uh, any other time, uh, most of you probably know I'm probably found sitting in front of my computer <laughs> doing something there. So, so I'm not really much of an outdoors type of person. I, I don't know a whole lot about it. My kids, you know, they love watching those videos on YouTube of like survivalists going around doing all these things, you know, killing their food or, you know, making some sort of, um, you know, I don't even know what you call it. Something to protect them from the rain. I don't know. You know, <laughs> that's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. But they love it. And they, and they go out there. And of course, you know, Sarah's a little bit, you know, she, she likes that thing a little, a little bit more than I do. And so she's, she's kind of more of the, <laughs> the one to, to push them outside and let them do that and, and join in them every once in a while. Um, but one day, I usually, I, when I come home, I check the mail. Sometimes it's, they've gotten it. Sometimes they haven't. A lot of times, you know, packages get delivered at different times. And so there's often a package from Amazon. I'm sure some of you can relate uh, to that. There's, uh, there's, there's often something there on the doorstep. And I remember one day I came home and I picked up this package and I opened it up and inside was this weird object. It was a, it was a, a tube about that long, a metal, metal rod about that long. And on top of it was a smaller rod of something. I don't really know what it is still even to this day. Um, and then hanging off of it, was this like this metal tab with teeth on it on the end of it? Does anybody know what that is? What is it? What? I can't hear you. Feral rod. What do you do? What do you use it for? To make fire. Very good. I'm looking at this thing going, who ordered this? <laughs> what in the world is it for? I think it might have said on it what it was, you know, or, or had a picture or something. So I figured it out pretty quickly. But I'm not the person that you want teaching you how to use. You want, get, you want Davin teaching you how to use that, all right? He's in the Boy Scouts. He knows what he's doing with that. But, but my oldest son had asked Sarah to, to order this for him, I think. And, and of course, you know, when he got it, what's the first thing he wanted to do? start a fire, right? He wanted to go out there. I mean, he was piling leaves, anything that he could find, you know, dirt maybe. I don't know. I don't know what he thought he was going to light a fire with, but he, he's out there. He's trying to do the, and of course he has no idea what he's doing. I have no idea how to use it. I don't know if, if Sarah showed him or not, but uh, because of that, thankfully the house is still standing. Um, but, you know, they, they like to do those things and he's got this tool that's supposed to help him start a fire. In fact, uh, in our recent snowstorm, we had certain members of the family outside trying to start a fire in the snow uh, in a box, in a cardboard box. And I think you actually did it, didn't you? Yeah. The, she says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we had it. All right. See, this is what I'm talking about. Guess where I was? In, home, in the house, taking a video of my weird family outside trying to light a fire in the snow <laughs> from inside. <laughs> I was not stepping outside. All right, that's not my thing. But, but that tool is designed, is it, does, it's not like an aim of flame. That's my kind of fire starter, all right? An aim of flame is my kind of fire starter because it's a fire already. It goes, 
and I've got fire, all right? This little sparking thing, that's, that's not gonna do it for me. I don't know what I'm doing with that. But it's in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing, that, whatever it's called, I called it a flint. I, I don't know what he called it. He's probably more accurate. But that, that tool provides the spark that it needs to get that fire going. That tool provides the initial spark. It, it is the catalyst for the fire that you're trying to achieve. And here, Paul is going to give us the catalyst, or you could even say it's, it's uh, maybe multiple catalysts for unity within the body. Say, so where in the world are you going with this? Let's take a look at it, okay? In, in chapter seven, in verse seven, Paul, it looks like it's kind of transitioning. You know, he's just talking about all these things that were one, you know, you know one body, one spirit, one faith, etc. And then he comes to verse seven and he says, something kind of a little odd here. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here he's been talking about unity. He's been talking about uh, the singularities. He's been talking about us being one and all these things. And then he kind of seems to transition to this concept of individuals, right? He says, but, but grace was given to all of us. What does he say? Grace was given to each one of us. Grace was given to each one of us according to what? According to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, what are these, what is this grace? What are these gifts that Christ is giving? What are they? Anybody have any ideas? You can talk. I know you know it. Somebody in here is on the tip of their tongue. What are, what are these gifts? Salvation is one of them, but that's really more of a, that's, we all have that, right? Remember, these, this is, we've already talked about all these global gifts that, that God has given those who are believers. What are these kind of individual ones? All right, yeah. We've got Galatians, or the fruit, yeah, that's part of it. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, what is that talking about? Anybody know? Spiritual gifts, right? What are some of the spiritual gifts? What? Discernment, okay. What else? I want to make y'all talk this morning before A and I time. <laughs> what? Prophecy, right? Teaching, okay. What else? Evangelism. You guys are just reading the next few verses. All right, but there's others too. There's mercy, right? There's gifts of healing. There's gifts of uh, service. There's lots of different gifts. In fact, uh, turn over to Romans chapter 12 quickly, if I can. Romans chapter 12, I think is a good uh, kind of parallel passage to this. Um, you know, we're all very familiar with the first two verses, but jump down to verse three. It says, for by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same functions. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there's several in this passage that Paul's not mentioning in Ephesians 4. And I think there's a reason for that. There's lots of different gifts of the Spirit. There's lots of different things that we could go through and we could read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And he goes through, he talks about uh, speaking in tongues in that one as well. That's not mentioned in either of these two passages, right? So there's more gifts that God has given to us. And each person, each believer in here has spiritual gifts, one or more. Each person in here has been given a gift by Christ for the body. Okay, now catch that. Each one has been given gifts from Christ for what? For the body, right? These gifts are not to puff ourselves up. What did he, what did he say here at the beginning of, in verse three? He said, don't think more highly of yourselves than you should, right? In fact, isn't that what he started with in Ephesians chapter four? If we're gonna have unity, we have to start with what? Humility, right? Humility and gentleness. And, and Paul says in, in Romans 12, he's saying, look, we have all these gifts, but they're not for you they're not to make you look good. You know, the, the musical gifts are not, not so that these guys can, can just be, you know, applauded while they stand up here and sing. No, they're here to service, to help, to build up the body of Christ. All the spiritual gifts are for that purpose. But here back in Ephesians chapter four, Paul singles out several specific spiritual gifts. And I, and I, I, wanna, I don't wanna jump ahead. So let's get back uh, to our passage here. So Christ is the one who gives us these gifts and he gives them to us individually for the benefit of the body as a whole. Then verse eight, uh, you know, this, this is kind of a weird, anybody ever read this and think, that's weird. <laughs> that's, why did Paul go into this, right? Um, it, let's read verses eight and nine. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse nine, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, now what, what's Paul talking about here? He says, first of all, he quotes from the book of Psalms, right? So this, that's why it looks kind of weird. If you ever recognize that in your Bible, if you see some weird indentation, usually that's a quote a lot of times from uh, either a prophecy or from Psalms. You'll see that a lot. So he says, when he ascended on high, and Paul is saying that, that really the psalmist is talking about Christ. He's saying this was Jesus Christ. He said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, Paul then jumps back and he says, let me explain that for you. He says, the only one that he could have ascended and done this thing is the one who descended. All right, and there's, uh, there's a lot of um, discussion about everything that these verses mean. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time digging into that, uh, all the different thoughts and ideas. We're just going to stick with kind of the basic concept here this morning. But feel free to, to do some research on that and, and see maybe some of the deeper things uh, that, this, that Paul could be referencing here. But uh, very simply, the, the first kind of concept here is he who ascended is the one who descended. Jesus himself said um, that the Son of Man had to come down to earth and that he would then ascend. 
And, and, and so Paul is, is referencing only one person. Paul is referencing only one person. There's only one person who has ever come down from heaven to earth and then ascended again. And who is that? Jesus Christ. You guys are getting more bold. All right. Jesus Christ, right? And so he said, Jesus Christ is the one. That's how we know who the psalmist was talking about. We know it was Jesus Christ because the one who ascended is the one who first had to descend. And then you know, another, another thought of that is that he talks about how he went above the heavens and the lower reaches of the earth. There's is another way of translating that. Uh, this puts a comma there and the ESV puts a comma before earth. Um, kind of seems to, to stop before it says into. Uh, some translations seem uh, have the idea of going lower into the earth. When did Jesus go into the earth? When he died, right? When he died. Now again, this is this is not the this is just the, the high level understanding of this passage. All right. But Jesus, when he died, was buried in the ground. And did he ascend from there as well? Yes. That's what we celebrate every Easter, is it not? The one who ascended is the one who descended, both to earth, under the earth, and then above the earth and above the heavens. And this one who has risen, and it's interesting that the psalm says that he led a host of captives. He led a host of captives. I've always had kind of an idea of what I thought that meant until I actually studied it. Um, we, hear that we have this idea of, of Christ leading captives free, right? But that's not what it's talking about here. That's not what it's talking about here. It says that he, he led a host of captives. Didn't say he led them free. Who did Christ's victory captivate? Sin and death and hell. You ever think about that? Sin and death and hell. When Christ rose from the grave in victory, it wasn't just victory over the people that had put him on the cross. When Christ rose in victory, it was in victory over sin and death and hell. And so when he rose, he arose with them as captives, as his, as his captives of victory, just like a warrior would take captives, prisoners of war. And when Christ arose, he arose with a host of captives. But then it says, and he gave gifts to men. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit came after Christ. In fact, we just got through our study of John and John uh, told them several times, I have to go because if I don't go, then the comforter will not come. And the Holy Spirit came and we know that on, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down upon those that were in the room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to, to preach and teach and they began to, uh, to call people to repentance. These men who were, who were hiding before that. And so this gift of the Spirit came after Christ had ascended, after Christ had gone away in victory. So Paul is just making very clear the fact that we understand who it's talking about. The fact that we understand where these gifts come from. These are not just natural gifts. <clears throat> you know, we, we, I'll, I'll reference the singing again. You know, we, we have musicians who can sing or play an instrument, you know, and, and many of them spend a lot of time working to develop that, that skill. 
But I think a lot of that is inborn talent. We like to say this inborn talent, right? That's just something that they have. For the believer, we understand that that's not just something that we have. That is a gift of God. And it's a gift that is to be used for what? For the building up of the body of Christ. So Paul says, God has give, Jesus Christ has given us these gifts after he has ascended. Now, Paul's going to focus on several specific gifts here. Even though all those others that we discussed certainly are part of it, he's going to focus in on several right here, starting in verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. All right? He's, he's listing, was it, five things? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. All right? He's listing these as gifts. Some other translations translate it um, like this, such as, he, or, or uh, some as. He says, uh, I'm trying to remember what it is. And he, gave, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, et cetera, et cetera. So he's talking about men with specific gifts that God has given to the church. Why does he pick these specific gifts in the total context of this idea of unity within the body? Why those particularly? I'll tell you why I think. What's the common thread that, that you see with all of those gifts? Anybody want to take a guess? Want to take a guess at what I see? <laughs> What's a common thread with all those gifts? Anybody see anything? Communication of what? What? The gospel or God's word, right? Every one of those gifts are given with a specific purpose, right? Every one of those gifts are given to communicate the word of God. We have the apostles, right? The apostles who are sent ones. They are the ones who carry the original understanding of Christ's teaching, right? They're the ones who heard the words of Christ, who were sitting under the teaching of Christ. They gave us Christ's words, the word of God. Then we have the prophets. What were the prophets to do? What? Prophesy what? The word of God, right? They didn't just sit in their tent or their house and be like, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to yell about today. You know, that's, that's not what they were doing. They were waiting to hear from God and then they would go out and they would speak the things that God said. They would share the word of God. All right, what's the next one? Evangelist, right? What does an evangelist do? An evangelist is consumed with sharing the gospel of Christ. Is that not the word of God? All right, what's the next one? Shepherds. I'm so glad. I just, I'll, brief, brief side note. I'm so glad the ESV says shepherds. <laughs> That's the proper translation, FYI. Um, pastor is a cognate of the Latin word pastor. Why we keep translating pastor, I'm not sure, but it means shepherd, right? All right, off my hobby horse. Shepherd and teacher, all right? What are these shepherds and teachers supposed to be doing? What did Jesus ask Peter to do after he had denied him three times? Do you remember? What? Tend my sheep, feed my flock, feed my lambs, right? What are we supposed to feed? Whatever sounds good at the moment, whatever's the hot topic of the day, 
No, the Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus has given these specific gifts to the body of Christ to share the Word of God, to provoke us with the Word of God as a catalyst for unity. See, we can't just muster up unity on our own. We need the Word of God. It has to be a part of our life. We need the Word of God, not just in our, in our daily quiet time, not just you know when we're reading. That's important as well. It's huge to be spending time in God's Word, digging into it, understanding it. But we also need the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God to convict our hearts, to show us the things that we need to change to become more like Christ. That's what it's going to talk about in the rest of this passage. We just close our Bibles and end with that, right? <laughs> That's what he's, he's, he's bringing these gifts to the church, these gifts of sharing the Word of God with the body of Christ to provoke them to unity, to provoke them to spiritual growth. They are the, they are the catalyst that Christ has given for spiritual unity within the body. But not only has he given us a catalyst, there's, there's a purpose, right? There's, there's, a, there's a point that we're supposed to be doing this for. They're, they're, he's given us the body for, for a reason, the, the, these gifts for a reason, and that is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Think about that. These gifts, whether it's the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, these gifts were given to share the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, so that we will grow as individuals, so that we will grow as a body, and so that we will be provoked to do the ministry that God has called us to do. I don't know about you, but I feel like I, I, I get a lot when I, when I study the Word of God. Uh, we were just talking last night. Um, Dave and I were about, he, he's like, yeah, you got, any, you got any insights on Genesis before we get started? And, uh, and I'm actually teaching the, uh, about Joseph from Genesis in, in TNT. So I was kind of sharing some, some interesting tidbits that I had kind of uh, put together while reading through. And there's, there's just so much in Scripture that, that you can just dig in and find and see. And, and you can spend days, weeks, months in the same passage and, and never exhausted. It's, it's just amazing what is there. And, and that time is so valuable when we spend it by ourselves. But I don't know about you. It seems like some of the more convicting times in my life come through the preaching of God's Word. When someone is standing up here sharing what God has laid on their heart from the Word of God, preaching and teaching that maybe something that I didn't get. <laughs> maybe something that I didn't come up with on my own. Maybe something I didn't see in that passage, but man, it's, just, it's right there. It's perfectly clear. There's a reason why we stand up here and preach. It's not just because, you know, this is what we feel like we're supposed to do. <laughs> this is not to, you know, this isn't to make up for the, for the generous gift that you give us every month. You know, this is, this is what God uses to build the body of Christ, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And it's important. It's not something that we should lay aside for something else. It must be central 
to what we do when we come and gather together as the body of Christ. Because God has gifted this church and other churches and the body as a whole with these gifts to communicate the word of God so that we will be built up, so that we will be provoked to do what God has called us to do. These gifts are the catalyst for unity. But I want to look at the continuation toward unity. You know, it's easy for us to to maybe look at this and be like, you know, I really feel like um, we're, we're really unified. We've got a good... We've got a good core group here. We've got, you know, there's nobody's fighting. Nobody's, um, you know, having issues with one another without taking care of them. You know, all these things that we, we talked about last week. You know, I feel like we're, I think, feel like we're really good. And it, and it would be really easy for us to just kind of sit back, you know, put our feet up, you know, think, man, we've, we did it. <laughs> we got it. We, 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 we are unified. Great. And feel like maybe we're done. And Paul gives us some, some endpoints for unity. Paul gives us a, a place and time when that's going to be done. And unfortunately, we're never going to get there. Let's look at what he says. He says that these gifts are given, uh, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We'll stop there. All right, because those two things are kind of combined. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. How many is all? Is it just, you know, us four no more? Is it just the elders? Throw in the deacons too, just the elders and the deacons. You know, if they're on the right path, then we're good. You know, we've got unity. No. How long are we supposed to pursue unity? How long is this process of, of, of building up the body of Christ to continue? Until we all, and Paul is including himself in this, until we all attain what? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Because you know what? Our faith is built on our knowledge of the Son of God. Our faith for salvation is built on our understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us, where we stood before God as as sinners, as people who deserved hell. Our faith is built on our understanding of that for salvation. But that's just the beginning of our faith. Our faith needs to grow, and it grows as we understand more and more about Jesus Christ. Our faith grows as our knowledge of the Son of God grows more and more. And here, even Paul, remember in in chapter three, he said, and that's something that we could never exhaust, right? That ability to understand just the love of Christ, not Christ as a whole, just the love of Christ is unknowable. And he says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Folks, that's a lifelong pursuit. This isn't something where in 10 years, we're going to sit back and be like, man, praise the Lord, we're unified. We're good to go. No, this is something that we, as the body of Christ, must pursue continually, day in and day out. This is something that we have 
to do. This is something we have to work at. This is something that we're not just going to, to find an end here on earth. We won't be done when God calls us home. We won't be. We will never exhaust the faith, the unity of the faith. We will never exhaust the knowledge of the Son of God. It's impossible. But are we growing in it? Are we growing in it? Because that's what we are called to do. It's, we can't just look at that and say, well, we'll never get there, so we might as well not try. That's not what Paul's calling us to. He's given these gifts to the church to build us up so that we grow in our knowledge, so that we understand more and more about Christ each day. And when we do that, then our faith is built and our faith increases. And all of us should be part of that. Everyone in here this morning should be part of that process, individually growing to know Christ, individually having our faith built up in Him. But as a body, we should be knowing Christ more. Our faith as a body should be being built up. And Paul says that happens how? Through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. But it's not just until that point, he goes on, what does he say? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As if knowledge and faith was, was not enough, as if we could somehow reach perfect understanding of Christ and have all faith, he adds another uh, caveat. Keep doing this until all of us have reached mature manhood to where we are at the stature and the fullness of Christ. You know, we throw around this term Christ-likeness a lot. You know, I think a lot of times it, it kind of just becomes a flippant thing to throw out there. It becomes this, this nebulous concept that, you know, it's just, it's just a Christian term. It's just something that we say. It's something that we're, quote, pursuing. But yet, are we really? Are we really striving and desiring to be like Christ? Is that what we're doing? Or do we just throw that around and say, yeah, I, I want to be a Christian, I want, to be, I want to be like Christ. That's my goal. That's my end point. But we don't ever do anything to get there. Is that where we're at this morning? Are we okay with this idea of unity, but not really pursuing it? Paul says you have to pursue this. You have to have this preaching and teaching the Word of God is part of this process of unity and it never ends. It never ends until we're gone. Because we will never have full faith. We will never have perfect understanding and knowledge of the Son of God and we will never in this life ever reach the stature and the fullness of Jesus Christ. The continuation towards unity. It never ends. And you know what? that might mean it's hard. That might mean we go through some struggles. That might mean that we as individuals have some problems that, that come up in our life that challenge our knowledge of the Son of God, that challenge our faith. Those things are going to happen. That may, there may be things that come that happen to us as a local body of Christ that challenge our faith. I, I just think of you know, something recently. 
And we had uh, felt like we were kind of getting the ball rolling with things on, on the land. And we kind of got shut down a little bit. Um, our, our realtor decided not to, not to continue listing the land or, or move forward with listing the land. And that could be discouraging. We could sit here and be like, eh, well, what's the use? That's kind of a waste. You know, well, God, why did you lead us down that path? And, and we could, in essence, kind of become bitter or, or not continue to pursue things that we believe God wants us to do just because of some situation that happens. And, and you know what? We could all just sit here and be okay with that. Or we can continue to grow. We can look at the setback and say, God, what are you trying to teach us through this? God, what are you trying to teach us individually? God, what are you trying to teach us as leadership? God, what are you trying to teach us as the body, as a whole, about you, about us, about your purpose for this church? How do we respond to those trials in our lives? How do we respond to those trials as a church? Is it just, oh, well, that's the way it is? Or are we growing? Are we learning? Are we striving? Are we coming together in our knowledge, in our understanding of the Son of God? Are we being built up? Are we becoming more like Christ? It's a continuation towards unity that never stops. Lastly, I want to look at the confirmation of unity. How do we know that we're there? How do we know that we're there? You say, David, you're, you're, you're going back on yourself here because you said we'll never be there, right? I know. I know. I'm sorry. So what are some signs that we're on the right path? Let's put it that way. What are some signs that, that we're moving in the right direction, that we're becoming more unified as the body of Christ? What are some of these signs that Paul's going to give us? He, he's just told us that we need to be working until we're all, we all have reached this mature manhood. And then he gives us some, some uh, ways that we can know. He says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. How can we tell that we are growing as the body of Christ, that we are growing in unity as the body of Christ? We as individuals and we as the body recognize false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching going on today. Um, you can turn on your TV and you can see it. Uh, you can go in a bookstore and you can see it. In a Christian bookstore, you can see it. There's a lot of false teaching going on. The question is, do you know it? Can you see it? Do you recognize it? It's like the old illustration about, you know, counterfeiting money, right? Everybody's probably heard the illustration. How do they, how do they at least this is the way they used to, I don't know if they do it this way anymore. How do they used to train people to, to spot counterfeit money? They show them the real thing, right? They engrave in their minds the real thing. They make sure they understand this is what real money looks like. This is how we print it. This is what it feels like. This is the texture. This is the ink color, 
right? They get it. They get that picture in their mind to where they understand this is the real thing. So that when they do see the counterfeit, what do they, what do they recognize? The things that are wrong, right? How are we going to recognize false teaching if we don't know the Word of God? If we're not in the Word of God on our own, studying it, if we're not being taught the Word of God here in this time together, how are we going to grow to a point that we recognize false teaching? And it's not just the false teaching. I think it's interesting, he says, that you will not be tossed by the waves of doctrine, you know, and the winds of doctrine. And he says, he adds to it, he says, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, I've heard people say, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of the people who kind of teach things that, that aren't quite right, you know, I think, I think they have a good heart. I think they're just, I think maybe they're just a little off. And I understand why we think that, because, you know, we, we want them to be good people. But that's not what the Word of God says. It says that they do this through deceitful schemes, through craftiness, right? There are people who have sold millions and millions of books who are teaching things that the Word of God just doesn't teach. And they sound good. They sound like nice people. They say a lot of right things. They'll even take the Word of God and they'll mix it in there and make it sound like they know what they're talking about. Make it sound like God's Word supports what they're teaching. And it's just not true. And we don't know their motives. We don't know exactly why they're doing it. It could be for fame. It could be for prestige. It could be for money. There's lots of different reasons why people would do it. It could be that they're just flat out not saved. And they're just a tool of Satan to teach false doctrine. There's lots of reasons why these people would teach the wrong things, but we have got to come to a point where we as individuals in a church recognize it. We can't, we can't continue to be people who just let everything come in and whatever sounds good, whatever sounds like something that Jesus might have said, works. We can't be that way. We've got to be discerning. We've got to be knowledgeable of what the Word of God truly says. And if we're not, if we're not doing what Paul said, if we're not being provoked, if we're not being built up in our faith and our knowledge of the Son of God, we're going to fall. We're going to fall for those traps. We're going to fall into that wrong thinking because we'll be like children carried around by every wind of doctrine. But he says, if you're not that way, if you can recognize the false doctrines, if you can see the things that are teaching that is incorrect, then you're seeing this process of unity, of building up in the body of Christ working. How do we know it's working? When we as individuals and we as a church, as a local body, recognize and refuse false doctrine. How else? Verse 15, rather, instead of being carried around by all those winds of doctrine, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. 
What does this look like? Speaking the truth in love. You know, I think a lot of times we, I know I myself, I'll just be, I'll speak for myself. I use this term when I, when I talk about how we interact with the world. You know, I use this concept when I talk about how, how we go about uh, witnessing to people. You know, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to not be offensive. And I believe that's the case. But who's this talking about? It's talking about the body of Christ, right? There should be, within this body of believers, a freedom and an expectation that we are sharing the truth of the Word of God with one another. You say, but I'm I'm not a pastor, elder, teacher, person. Okay, we're going we're gonna to break up here in a couple minutes in our application implementation time. Who came up with that stupid term? It's my fault. All right, we're going to break up into these groups. How do we know that we're on the right path when it comes to spiritual unity? We know when we can't get people to stop talking. We know when we've got person after person Oh, going around this circle, sharing what they've got from the Word of God, whether it was this morning or just an understanding that, that God maybe came into their mind as they were, as they were listening or, or even throughout the week and they're putting things together and they're sharing what God has spoken to them about. Not in a way that's saying, man, you guys are a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners and you, you, know, you all need to fix this and this and this. It's in love. But how often do we speak the truth? How often do we engage one another in the Word of God? Is it only, is it only in this application time? Is it only during our life group time where, we're, where we've got it planned out? Is it only during those times where somebody from up here says, we're going to get together? Is that the only time we're doing it? Well, then we've got a long way to go. Because we should be sharing the truth with one another. We should be taking the time to to, to look at somebody's life and say, hey man, you know, it seems like you're kind of following in this direction and, you know, this is what the Word of God says. It means confrontation. Absolutely. It's, It's a parent taking a child aside and saying, you know, this is, you've got these things in your life that that don't line up with, with what you say you, you are as a believer in Christ. You know, this is what the truth of God's word says. It's going to someone who is going through a hard time in their life. And it's saying, look, remember what David said in the Psalms. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. It's not just confrontation. See, the truth works in many, many situations. But are we prepared? Are we ready? And are we willing to speak the truth and love to one another in the body of Christ? Are we doing that in our homes? And are we doing that when we come here, when we gather together? Do we come to our life group times ready to share what God is doing in our lives? If we don't, we've got a long way to go. It feels, like, it feels like we're a pretty unified group. But Paul says we've got a long way to go.
until we are people who are living in humility and gentleness toward one another, patience, bearing with one another, until we are pursuing spiritual unity eagerly, until we are engaging with one another in the body of Christ, uh, yes, speaking truth to get rid of false doctrine, but also speaking truth when it is needed for support and encouragement and love. It's interesting, he says, that when we do that, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I don't think it's a mistake that Paul threw this in there. He says that we are growing up into the head, which is Christ. You know, it's easy for us, I think, at times to get sidetracked with the business of church. It's easy for us sometimes to just get sidetracked with the organization of church, with the running of church, the process of church. You know, we've got Sunday morning worship. We've got the uh, A&I Times. We've got life groups. We've got Awana. We've got all these different things that we're, that we're doing as a church. And it's easy for us to forget why we're even here. See, if we are going to be unified, we have to, every one of us, come together with an understanding of who it is we serve. With an understanding that it's not me and Eric and Andy who are in charge of this thing. It's not. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. It's His church. He's the head. And if we're not unified in that, then we're not going to be unified at all. If we're not leading with that understanding, then we're not going to have true biblical unity. That's part of growing up in Christ is understanding that he is in charge. He is in control. He is the head. He is the one who is responsible ultimately for the growth of the church. It's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's Christ's church. He's the head. But do we think about that? Do we plan our activities in the church with that thought in mind? That Christ is the head? Do we spend as much time as we should in prayer to Him asking, what do you want us to do? Or do we just move ahead with whatever sounds right? Well, this makes sense. You know what? Sometimes faith doesn't make sense. Sometimes faith means stepping out and doing something that, man, you know, this doesn't look right on paper. Jesus is directing us to do that, and he's the head. Is that how we treat church, or are we just trying to run a good business? Do we come here and set up or tear down or work in Awana or work in the nursery or be a part of the songs? Do we do that as the business of church, or do we do that to serve the head, which is Christ? If we're growing, if we're being built up as the body of Christ, we're going to recognize when he is the head and when he's not the head. And we're going to fix it. Because we're going to understand that it's his body. It's his church. And we are just members of it. Lastly, he says in verse 16, From whom, talking about Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look at that first part. It talks about the fact that Christ has built this church. Every person who is a member of this church is here, not because you made a choice to join this church. Say, what? (laughs) I remember distinctly standing up there (laughs) and saying, we want to join, (laughs) right? That's not what Ephesians 4 says. Jesus has fitly joined each member of this body together for a purpose. If you are a member of Liberty Hills Bible Church, you are here for a purpose. And he's just outlined it. To pursue unity, biblical unity, by growing together in the body of Christ. You have a purpose here. You have a spiritual gift that he was talking about that's to be used for the benefit of the body of Christ. You're not just here to fit inside one of these fantastic blue chairs. You know, you're here to be doing the ministry that the teaching and preaching of the word is supposed to provoke you to do. Christ has put you here for a purpose. Do you believe that? Is it just a theological concept or do you really believe that God has brought you here for a purpose, for this local body? Do you believe that? I think it's very clear that he's done that. God has put you here for a purpose. The question is, are you working properly? Are you working properly? What does he say at the end? He says, when each part is working properly, it does what? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I chose the word catalyst for a reason. Because a catalyst is not something that continues. A catalyst is something that starts and then it's done. Now, we know that preaching and teaching is something that should continue, but it should just be the beginning of the body building itself up together in love. The preaching and teaching should not be the only thing that's provoking us to grow. We, if we are working properly, if we are doing what God has called us to do, if we are functioning the way that God wants us to function within the body of Christ, then we will be speaking truth and love to one another. We will be building one another up in the body of Christ. You ever feel like maybe things are kind of stagnant at church? It's your fault. <laughs> it's, it's all of our fault, Right? If things are stagnant at church, if we feel like there's not growth, if there's not movement, if there's not uh, an eagerness to, to pursue this unity, if there's, not, uh, if there's not the body being alive and growing and becoming more like Christ, it's our fault. Because it means someone is not working properly within the body. Maybe that's you this morning. When's the last time you thought about your part of the body of Christ. Now, don't forget, that's not just LHBC. He's not just talking about a local body. He's talking about the body as a whole, remember? He said back in verse 4 that there's one body. There was one church. 
how are you at building that church up? Not just how are you at building up LHBC, but how are you at building up the universal church? Other believers that go to other churches that are preaching the truth. Are you building them up as well? Because they're part of the body. Is that how we live? Or do we just come in on Sunday morning hoping that whoever stands up here has something that makes sense and makes me feel good and then we walk away and we're done for the day or the week until maybe life groups if we show up to that? Or are we engaged in the body of Christ? Do we understand we have a purpose and a calling as a part of the body of Christ? And are we fulfilling it? Are we working properly? Father, we thank you for everyone that you have brought to this church, for everyone that you've brought to many other churches here locally, Lord, who are faithfully serving you, who are preaching your word. We praise you for that. We thank you that the body is not just made up of these few who are here. We thank you that you are doing a great work, not even just in the United States of America, but around the world. That your church is being built. And Lord, I pray that as we take this time here in the next few minutes to, to discuss these things, that you would open our eyes to ways that we can engage the body better, ways that we can grow in our faith and our knowledge of you, ways that we can grow in our Christ-likeness. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and talk about what a great church we are, but so that we can understand that with you as the head, we are to be built up in love. That we are to become a group of people who are humble, who are gentle, who are patient, who bear with one another in love, who exhibit the unity that you prayed for. that we would not take it lightly, this unity that you've desired for us to have, but that we would pursue it and that you would be glorified by it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.